Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine a financial institution with competitive rates and low fees so you can support churches, ministries, and causes that are close to your heart. A place where your faith and finances can grow together as you seek to serve God and support yourself and your loved ones. It's called Christian Community Credit Union. Here, you're joining a family who shares your Christian values. Here, you can serve God and support yourself and your loved ones. Here, you can get the right financial solutions to help you live and give more abundantly. But can't you just find financial services somewhere else? Well, sure. But what other bank can be your faith-based partner who genuinely cares about a mission bigger than all of us? What other bank seeks to honor God with every single transaction? What other bank can guarantee your money goes directly to kingdom purposes? Christian Community Credit Union is a Christian faith-based, not-for-profit credit union driven by the purpose of serving Christ's followers to live and give more abundantly. To learn more about this world-class financial organization, please visit www.mycccu.com slash c-suite. Again, that's www.mycccu.com slash c-suite. I once asked a business owner who was about to sell his $400 million company that 20 years earlier was a $15 million company, how much he attributed his company's success to being in a CEO roundtable. His answer was, I attribute my company's growth to initiatives undertaken, which were all brought to the CEO roundtable group. That's what having a group of like-minded Christian executives can do for you. That's what being a member of a Nehemiah group can do for you. To learn more about how Nehemiah Groups can help you grow your company and change your life, please visit FuelingSales.com and click on the Nehemiah Group tab. Thank you. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the C-Suite for Christ podcast. I am Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ. And boy, howdy, what a blessing it is to have you join us here today. Hey, I don't know if you've heard this news. Big news, exciting news. And if you follow me on social media, you likely would have seen this by now. But here's a little did you know, a little trivia question. Did you know that there are just under 3.1 million podcasts on planet Earth? Frankly, I thought that number was going to be way, way higher. It just seems like everybody in their gam gam has a podcast these days. But uh, yeah, just under 3.1 million podcasts. This is all publicly available information, by the way. But in addition to having the uh, that that number 
of programs out there on all these different platforms. My producer shared with me recently that of all the podcasts, totally nearly 3.1 million shows all over the world, this podcast, the C-Suite for Christ podcast, ranks in the top 10% based on downloads and subscribers and minutes listened and a whole bunch of other metrics. So, boy, praise God. I, I don't know what else to say. We've only been out here for about 13 months, 14 months. Like I said, it just seems like everybody has a podcast. There's a lot of secular podcasts. There's a lot of noise we got to cut through. Uh, I guess like the average podcast subscriber subscribes to almost 20 of these things. That's a lot of dings. That's a lot of alerts. That's a lot of updates. Despite all of that, you have made this podcast such a smash success. This is this podcast is a success, not because of me, but in spite of me. I don't even think I'm all that good as a host here, to be totally honest. So just want to let you know, I love you. Thank you so much. And for us, again, it's not about this show. It's not about the C-Suite for Christ ministry. It's never been about the ministry. It's always about the mission. And our mission is to cover the world in Christ. If this podcast succeeds, Christ succeeds. If this podcast gets a lot of listeners, Christ gets a lot of listeners. And if this podcast gets shared, which is something I would implore you to do every single week. Now, some of these episodes are better than others. So the ones where I'm, you know, stinking up the joint, maybe sit on that one for a little bit longer. But the ones, hey, that was pretty good. Hey, I like the guests. Hey, I like the, the scriptural references that were in this episode. Do me a favor, please. Put it on social media and encourage people to subscribe. Share it with a, a small group of your friends or close acquaintances. Maybe send out an email to, to 10 or 15 individuals that you go to church with. Hey, I stumbled across this. I thought you might uh, enjoy the content. But whatever you do, do something. Because Christ isn't satisfied with the top 10%. We need to be in the top one one hundredth of 10% if that even makes sense. But I want this podcast to be the absolute number one podcast on planet Earth, not because of me, not because of the ministry, but because of Christ. What a legacy that would be if you helped us make this the number one most listened podcast in the world. That's a huge victory for Christ, and we can start to turn around this decrepit secular society that we see all over the place. So really appreciate that. Today's going to be a bit of a special episode here and special in the sense that I'm not going to make your eardrums bleed by listening to my voice for uh, 20 or 30 minutes. What we thought we would do is take you to the source itself. So as you know, likely know about a month and a half ago, we had our 2023 covering the world in Christ celebration. That's our annual event. That's our annual gala is a ministry. Again, it's not a celebration of our ministry. It's not a celebration of our organization. It's a celebration of our mission, which is to boldly, unapologetically cover the world in Christ by honoring the Great Commission and really inspiring people just to lead you know, lives where they're on fire for him and bringing people to him. It was a fantastic event. We had just over 800 people packed the place. Several hundred more joined us by a live stream. And we also had some uh, some pretty good talent. Uh, Christian music sensation Danny Goki put on a private concert for our attendees. And we also had keynote speaker, former Arkansas governor and two-time White House aspirant, Mike Huckabee. His talk was arguably the highlight of the evening. 
for individuals in, in the follow-up conversations that I had and the emails that I received and the LinkedIn messages that I've received since that time, people were just drooling over Huckabee's speech. Man, I never knew he was such a good speaker. I never knew he was so on fire for the Lord, even though he is an ordained Baptist minister, I might add. I had no idea he could so eloquently take complicated Christian practices and make it so clear, make it so relatable. So we thought we would give you a special treat as a valued C-Suite for Christ podcast subscriber, listener, believer, advocate. What we're going to do is we're going to play Governor Mike Huckabee's speech in its entirety. He entitled this Salt and Light. It is a moving speech. It is a powerful speech. And if you don't look at life a little bit differently or you're not compelled to be your absolute very best for Christ upon the conclusion of the speech, do me a favor, go back and listen to it again because you likely missed something. So this is a very special episode of the C-Suite for Christ podcast. We're going to turn it over to Governor Mike Huckabee in just one second. The only other thing I want to say, and again, this is what we do at the Covering the World in Christ celebration. We bring in big names. We have a heck of a party. We're there to pray for each other, encourage each other, witness to each other, and make sure that people know you're not alone in this fight. You're not alone in this battle. You're not alone in wanting to cover the world in Christ. So the next gathering, our next annual event, is going to be taking place on Thursday, March 7th. That is just under a year away. Paul, why are you telling me now? That's a long time. The reason I'm telling you now is because I love you and I don't want you to miss out. How can I miss out? It's a year away, you might be asking. Well, at the 2023 event, we did announce who the keynote speaker is going to be on March 7th, 2024. And it's going to be none other than Mr. Tim Tebow himself. Yes, one of the most um, recognizable, iconic names in the Christian world today. Tim Tebow, former NFL player, Major League Baseball player, Heisman Trophy winner, just the, the list goes on and on and on of all the things that he has accomplished. Again, I tell you this, yes, we're a year away, but in the first 72 hours of us announcing that Tim Tebow was going to be the keynote speaker, we sold over 315 tickets. You got to understand the venue where we go to for this event only holds, holds 2,500 so 300 in 72 hours, we're selling at least one or two tickets every single day. If you wait until the fall of 2023, you're likely not going to have any tickets. So you can join us in person. You can also join us live stream. We're never going to sell out a live stream ticket. So that's always an option. But do me a favor, just go to our website and buy your ticket now. Get it out of the way. Be done with it. Guarantee yourself that you have a seat at the table March 7th, 2024. Again, our website is csuiteforchrist.com. With that, let me turn it over to someone who has become my friend uh, since this. Uh, we text on a regular basis. We've communicated several times since the event. Just a world-class human being. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Governor Mike Huckabee with his talk, Salt and light. Are you a Christian-based organization? Well, so are we, and we're here to serve you. We want to help you with your mission, so please visit paragonmarketinggroup.com to see how we can help. Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. 
ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com. Thank you very much. Wow, this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. You guys have no idea how you just scared me when you stood up. I thought you were going to all leave. I thought, wow, I must be back in Arkansas. <laughs> That's what they would do. What a joy to be here, but I don't know who plans an event in Wisconsin in February. <laughs> and you invite a southern boy to come and be part of it? Do you realize this much snow would close everything in the south for a week or two, okay? And I got in this afternoon, it's, it was snowing like crazy, and I said, well, they'll cancel the event. Nah. I'm really glad that I'm in Wisconsin, home of the best cheese curds in the world. I do love those. Now, you may not know this, but I've got a connection to uh, the Green Bay Packers that'll probably impress you. Do you know that I was invited to sing the national anthem at Lambeau Field? What do you think, huh? You didn't even know that I sang. Truth is, I really don't, but I was invited to sing the National Anthem at Lambeau Field, and I did it. And it was an awesome experience to stand on the 50-yard line, those beautiful stadium lights on, and sing the National Anthem in that historic, wonderful, one-of-a-kind football venue. And uh, I realize in this part of Wisconsin, some of you are probably Bears fans. I don't know whether you are. Good. Good. Since I'm telling a Packers story, it would be really bad if all of you hated the Packers, which I kind of doubt it. Now, here's the story. Back in 2004, when the presidential election was going on, all of the Republican governors were invited to travel the country to campaign for the re-election of then-President George W. Bush. And um, I was on a team, because they put us in teams of two to three governors, and I was on a team with Dirk Kempthorne of Idaho, and Mike Rounds of South Dakota. And we were campaigning all day. They flew us around on the jet, and we got to Green Bay, our last stop of the day. We did a rally, and we finished about 7.30 that evening. And I said, guys, you know what we ought to do? I mean, we're finished. we got to go get some dinner. Let's go out to Curly's at Lambeau Field. We'll eat there. That'd be kind of cool, right? So we did. Now, we were surrounded by state police security detail, and they were talking to the people at the stadium. They found out that they had three governors from all these different states, and they said, would you, your guys like to tour the stadium? Now, it's on a Tuesday night, so it's not like there's a football game. But they invited us to take the tour, so we did. And we went into the locker rooms, we went into the offices, we went everywhere, and they took us out on the field, they turned all the lights on, which I was amazed they did. That probably cost them several thousand dollars, but I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. <laughs> and so as we went out there, I said to one of the... Uh, people from the stadium, I said, I need you to do me a favor. He said, what? I said, invite us to sing the national anthem. And he said, do what? I said, invite us to sing the national anthem. 
He said, there's nobody here. I said, you're not listening to me. Invite us to sing the national anthem. He said, okay, would you guys sing the national anthem? I said, we would be delighted. I said, Dirk, Mike, come on. And they looked at me like I'd lost my mind. I said, come on, we're going to the 50-yard line. We walked out there, and I said, we're going to sing the national anthem. We did. And I said, when you go for the rest of your life, you can tell everybody, you know, I was once invited to sing the national anthem at Lambeau Field. Now, the reason I'm so grateful for Dan's introduction, which was very generous and delightful, is that I'm not getting that anymore. I used to get all this biographical stuff when I'd go somewhere to speak. they tell about all the things that I'd done. You know what I get now? This is it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sarah's dad. That's it. And I want you to know I'm totally cool with that because I don't know of any parent that would ever be jealous of his or her child's success. But I get a lot of questions about my daughter, the new governor of Arkansas, who I think crushed it the other night in her speech. Just me thinking. Now, this address is not political at all, so don't get nervous for those of you that don't see it like I do. I'm praying for you. But this is not about the politics of it, but... Honestly, it's, it's been so interesting. It started back when my daughter was at the White House uh, as press secretary, and they would see my daughter take on the Washington press, and she was never mean, but she was tough. And people would ask me, how'd your daughter get to be so tough? I said, have you ever met her mother? <laughs> I never said that when her mother was around, by the way. No, the truth is it was because she had two older brothers. Sarah is the youngest of our three children, and she was the only girl. And so the brothers thought that she was the favorite because she was the youngest and she was the only girl. And truth is, sometimes the way they behaved, she was the favorite, to be honest with you. But that's a whole other story. But they were mean to her. And when I tell you they were mean to her, I mean, when she was two, they super glued her fingers together. That required a trip to the emergency room about 9 o'clock that night so they could figure out a way to get them apart. Not long after that, they gave her a big glass of mud and told her it was a chocolate milkshake from the Dairy Queen. Now, a few moments like that, and that kid decided that if she was going to survive, she was going to have to toughen up and fight back. And boy, did she ever toughen up and fight back. So I like to credit her two older brothers for helping make her what she is today. And I'm sure they are glad that she likes the spotlight and they don't. As believers, we are called to do exactly what you heard Paul say a few moments ago, accept the Great Commission as a personal invitation from God to go change the world. Look, all of us get frustrated when we see the things that are happening in our culture, and we absolutely cannot believe that we're living through a day in which people seem to be so hostile toward people of faith. And it's not neutrality that we're dealing with. It's hostility. People really don't like you if you take a bold stand for Christ. If you hold to a biblical worldview, they will yell at you and scream at you, and they won't be inviting you to the nice things that they like to go to. You'll be persona non grata. Your own family will be upset with you. It's just the way it's become. And some of you say, this is just not fair. 
tell it to Jesus, who had a few moments when people really didn't treat him very nicely either. And by the way, I get so amused when people say, well, we just need to be sweet and nice, and we never need to, you know, fight back or take a stand because we're Christians. And I'm thinking, did you ever read the New Testament? Did you read when Jesus called the Pharisees snakes and vipers and whitewashed tombs? That wasn't very gentle. He was prophetic because he came not just simply to get along and see if everybody would like him, but he came to speak the truth God had poured into his divine life. When I see the world, and more specifically, our American culture, just spiraling into oblivion, it's not that I get upset with the TV networks over that. I don't get upset with some particular minority group who's screaming about their rights. I'll tell you who I come to realize is the guilty party that has allowed this to happen. And I don't mean to be unkind. Please do not misunderstand. Uh, It's not maybe a nice thing to be a guest speaker and come and say something like I'm about to say, but the problem is not out there. The problem is right here. And here's why I say that, because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to his disciples, to those who followed him. When we were kids, we played the game tag. Remember that? You'd run around the yard, and whoever was it would go tag someone and say, you're it. And then they had to run around the yard and tag somebody. Well, I want you to imagine that Jesus has run around the yard and he's tagged you and he said, you're it. You're the salt. You're the light. But understand when he said that we were the salt and the light, what that really meant. It meant that we are to be the preservative because that's what salt was. Salt was not in the day of Jesus simply a little little kind of seasoning that you gently sprinkled on your food after you cooked it. Not at all. It was the only preservative that was known in the first century. There were no Yeti coolers. There were no refrigerator trucks. So when the fishermen went out to catch fish and they brought them in, those fish were just like Baptists. They started spoiling the second they got out of the water. (laughs) The Baptists won't like that, but boy, the Assemblies of God here are going to love that, right? (laughs) Now, the fish would start immediately putrefying just because you take the fish out of the water And if you don't do something to immediately begin to preserve it, the fish are going to get rotten pretty quick. So the preservative of the day was not refrigeration, which they did not have. It was not ice, which they did not have. It was not a cooler, which they did not have. It was salt, which they did have. Salt is an amazing property, and it preserves. So as soon as the fish would come out of the water, the first thing that would happen, they would pack the fish in salt, and it stopped the putrefaction process and the spoiling process. Here's the application, and it's pretty simple. If we are living in a world that is rotting, if we're living in a culture that is putrefying, it's beginning to smell up the earth, the reason that that is happening is because the salt has lost its savor. The salt has stopped being the salt. It might as well be sand. 
And the degree to which our culture is spiraling out of control in a downward fashion is not because the culture of this world is doing anything other than what it knows to do. How can we expect the kingdom of Satan to behave any way other than the way it's already behaving? Yeah, I was shocked when I saw the clips. I didn't watch the Grammys. But I watched the clips when they had essentially a Satan worship. It was bizarre. And if you saw the tweet from CBS, it actually said, let's worship. Exact words. And we're taken aback from all of that, but, you know, why should we be so surprised? Whose fault is that? As gentle as I can say it, it's ours. Because we've not been the salt. We've not been the light. And sometimes when we try to be the salt and the light and put ourselves in the middle of that which is completely spoiling, rotten, and putrefying, wow, the reaction is not just negative from the culture that is spoiling, it is equally negative from within the bounds of the church and the church people. I remember when I first got into politics 30 years ago, I'll never forget there was a lady in a little town called Malvern, Arkansas. I was there to campaign at the Brick Festival of Malvern. Now you wonder, what is a Brick Festival? Well, every little Arkansas town has a festival. I mean, they all do. And they celebrate whatever it is that's kind of special or unique about that town. I grew up in Hope, Arkansas, home of the world's largest watermelon. So naturally, we had the Watermelon Festival. Johnson County grew peaches. They had the Peach Festival. Malvern had the Brick Festival because they had a brick factory there. And the only thing they could figure out to celebrate was a brick. Folks, let me tell you something. You know you live in a small town when you celebrate a brick, okay? <laughs> Here I was at the Brick Festival, and I was walking around campaigning. I was getting some pretty good reaction, and I was thinking, it's going pretty good. And then this lady came, got it right up in my face, began to wag her finger right at my nose, and she said, I just want you to know something. I did not vote for you, and I'm not going to vote for you. You're a Baptist minister. I, too, am a Baptist. I knew then I was in trouble. And she said, I just want you to know that I don't think people like you should get into politics. And I did not vote for you, and I'm never going to vote for you. And I looked at her, I said, lady, that'll be just fine. I said, because, quite frankly, I really believe that you don't need to vote for me. And she said, why not? And I said, well, quite frankly, um, I said, you know, the, the fact is, you don't need to vote for me. I don't expect you to vote for me. And she said, well, I won't. Because I would never, ever vote for someone like you. And I said, lady, that's fine. Because... Quite frankly, one day when I go to heaven, I don't think you'll be in my district, so it really won't matter. <laughs> now, I know some of you think that's just unkind. We'd already established she wasn't voting for me. Look, at this point, I just didn't care, okay? 
I remember the lady said, are you one of those narrow-minded Baptists who think all the Baptists are going to heaven? I said, ma'am, I got to tell you, I'm more narrow than that. I don't think all the Baptists are going to make it myself. <laughs> if we're not the salt, who's going to be? What can we expect out of a secular world? How do we get to be the salt? We start acting like Jesus called us to act. We are intentionally biblical about what we think, what we believe, and how we practice it. I'm surrounded on this stage by a number of musical instruments, guitars, keyboards. In a little while, you're going to be entertained by some amazing people. Kaylee Bishop, Danny Gogi. It's going to be great. But I'm going to tell you something that they're going to do before they ever play the first note of a song. And I promise you that no matter how good they are, if they don't do this one thing, their music will sound like a train wreck. And here's what they're going to do. They are going to tune their instruments. Because if they don't, no matter how wonderful they are at music, it will sound like chaotic noise. Now, what will they tune to? Will they tune to what they think, what they feel, or what they believe? No, they will not. They will tune to a rigid, fixed standard, and every note that they tune to in correspondence with the string of their guitar is going to be the exact tone, whether it is right here in West Bend, Wisconsin, or what it would be in Chicago, or Tokyo, or anywhere on the earth. Because the musical standard is rigid and fixed, and the sound of a D note is exactly the same in whatever language or culture. And you tune your instrument to something that is fixed and rigid, and everyone tunes to the same tuner. And then you can play, and it'll be music. But if everyone comes on the stage and just tunes to what they're thinking, what they're feeling, or what they're believing, it will be noise. The biggest reason we see a complete collapse of our culture today is because we're living in the day, it's like it was in the time of Judges, when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And instead of doing what God's Word says is the right or the wrong, we just say, here's what I believe. Well, let me tell you how I feel. Can I share with you what I think? And God is wondering and probably saying, who cares what you think? Who cares what you feel? Who cares what you believe? I gave you a tuning fork. It's the Word of God. It is the Scriptures. And folks, we can never change this culture until we once again become unapologetically, intentionally people of the book. And we believe that it is the God-breathed, infallible, inerrant word of the living God. It's all we got. And if we can't be salt tuned to that, our culture is not going to make it. I want to be very blunt. Look, I've been in the political world for almost 30 years. But let me be very clear, the problems that face our culture today really are not political. They're not geographical, economic, racial. We fight on those fronts. That's not the right fight. The real battle is spiritual. It is good versus evil. It is God versus Satan and the prince of this world. 
And until we begin to fight the battle on the battleground of the spiritual, we have no chance of ever succeeding. When Jesus told us that we were the salt of the earth, he followed it up by saying, you're the light of the world. And he talked about how when it's really dark, you you take a light, you don't put it up under something where it's hidden. You put it in the highest place you possibly can, and it gives light all around. Now, I'll be honest, I've come to understand that if I have a flashlight and it's a well-lit, brilliantly bright day, the flashlight is totally insignificant. But on a very dark night, or in a very dark room, a flashlight illuminates and punches through the darkness. Most of us like to have our lights in the church, and we save it for Sunday. And we say, I'm going to really love Jesus on Sunday. I'll sing those gospel songs. I'll speak those wonderful biblical truths. Hey, that's a flashlight in a well-lit room. Not where we need it. Are you willing to take that light and put it where there's darkness? In the entertainment industry, in the banking industry? Are you willing to put it in the classroom? Are you willing to take it on the streets in a homeless shelter? If you really want your life to count and fulfill the Great Commission, it doesn't happen if we leave our faith in the well-lit room and say, here I am, Lord, I'm lighting up the well-lit room. It happens when we say, Lord, my light may not be the biggest, the strongest, but what it is, I'll take it to the darkest places I can find, and I will let it shine for you and let people see the way so they don't stumble. That's what it means to be the light of the world. One of my adult toys for a long time was a bass boat. I convinced my wife that if I had a bass boat, I would relax more. And it would probably keep me from having a heart attack and having a terrible health problem. You know what? She bought that. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) She actually believed it. And on my 40th birthday, bought me a Bass Cat bass boat with a 225 horsepower Mercury motor. I'm telling you, it was a fine bass boat. I spent many an hour on the Arkansas River enjoying catching bass and just having the time of my life. But I got to thinking about this. This is an expensive boat. And you know, if you're in a river, there's things that change in that river all the time. I thought, if I run over a stump, I could knock the lower unit off the motor. Why, I could scratch it all up. It's such a beautiful boat. So I I did something that a lot of boat owners have decided really makes more sense if you have an expensive boat. Join a boat club and put your boat in a warehouse. And every weekend, instead of taking your boat out in the water where it can get all banged up and nasty, you just go to the warehouse, you get up in your boat, all the other boat owners are right around you so you get to talk to them and, you know, you you talk boats, you read boat books, you sing boat songs, you have people tell you about boats and how wonderful it is. You even hire people to go out on the water in a real boat and then come back in and show slides and give reports of what it's like on the water. And you take up money so that you can send them back on the water so they can put their boat in the water and get it all nasty and dirty while you sit in your boat while it's pristine and untouched by the water and the stumps and all the stuff that you can't see under the surface. And when the weekend is over, You get out of your boat, polish it up one more time, turn off the lights, close the warehouse door, and say, bye, guys. See you next weekend. 
when we get back to our boat club. Now, I know what some of you are saying. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you're going to spend all that money on a boat, and you're going to leave it on a warehouse? You know what's dumber than that? You're going to spend the blood of Jesus to save your soul. You're going to allow the grace of Almighty God to come to Calvary, go to the grave, come out of the grave, empower you with a power that is greater than anything that exists in this world, and the best you'll have for God is to go to the warehouse of faith on Sunday and sit up there and listen to boat stories and sing boat songs and send missionaries out to actually go and do boat work and come back and give a report and never, ever get bumped or bruised along the way. Folks, the reason our culture is in trouble is because it's time to get our boats out of the warehouse and out into the water. Because if a boat never gets in the water, it ain't much of a boat. Now, be careful, because if your boat gets filled with the water, it ain't much of a boat then either. We're to be in the world, not of the world, piercing through the world, but not being overwhelmed by the world. And when Jesus says to us, we're the salt and the light, that's what he's talking about, that it's on our shoulders to be the prophetic voices of God's truth and unapologetically go into the darkest places and to go in places where, quite frankly, we're going to get hurt. I don't mean to bust your bubble, but if you think, I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to serve him because I just want to feel all the good feelings of the world. People come to me all the time and say, I'm thinking about running for office. What do you think? Here's my answer. If you cannot stand to see the sight of your own blood, don't do it. This is a rough business. But it's a rough business whether you go into banking as a Christian or whether you go into the classroom as one of the university environment or whether you become a police officer and you try to be a witness for Christ there. Wherever you go, it's going to be tough because it's not that you're just battling against people with different ideas. You're going to be battling a world that is dead set purposefully intending to bring God out of the conversation and right out of the culture. I don't know how many times I've had people to tell me how I should have done what I have done in the political realm. I'm not talking here about the politics of you or me, but I'm just talking about the realm of it. And I'm always thinking, you know, isn't it interesting that the people who are the first ones to yell, kill the umpire, are the ones sitting in the cheapest bleacher seats in the stadium. The people that change the world come off the field sometimes on a gurney, but always bruised, bleeding, and battered from the contest. I do not want to paint for you a picture that if you surrender your life to the mission of Christ, that your life will be easier than it is now, because it won't. But I'm telling you that there will come a day that you may live to hear the most important six words that a human being will ever hear. If at the end of your life, if the first thing you hear from God's mouth are these six words, I don't care how much money you had or did not have. I don't care whether people knew who you were or cared who you were. But if you hear these six words, 
Your life has been incredibly effective and successful. And here are the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's the criteria. To have lived an effective life as a human being and to have fulfilled the great commission that God wants to send every one of us out to do. A number of years ago, when I was just 16 years old, I went to an event in Dallas, Texas called Explo 72, sponsored by Campus Crusade for Christ. It was an amazing experience. I grew up in a little town of 8,000 people. There were over 100,000 young people from all over the world who gathered in Dallas, Texas to be trained in evangelism. It was in the very pinnacle of the Jesus movement which was such a powerful time because it really, I think, saved my faith. I come to a place where I wonder, does anybody really care about this Christian stuff? I'd go to church and I'd see people that didn't live a different life than the people who didn't go to church. They used the same filthy language. They were guilty of the same habits. And I thought there's really no difference except these guys are dressing up and going to church on Sunday and these folks over here aren't. And the Jesus movement for the first time challenged me to understand what it was to believe that God wanted to be in me and use me and what it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to God in a purpose. And so I went to Expo 72 overwhelmed with the fact that there are more people standing in line to go to the restroom in the Dallas uh, Stadium, the Cotton Bowl, than lived in my whole hometown. This is amazing. And every night we would be trained in evangelism and all day long the daytime would be spent out knocking on doors and trying to lead people to Christ. It was sponsored by Campus Crusade and Billy Graham's organization, and it was just incredible. I mean, you get that many young people together all under the age of 25, singing praise to the Lord, 100,000 voices in a football stadium like that, and it was extraordinary. Never did I ever experience something like that. On the last night of Expo 72, Friday night, Billy Graham was the speaker Bill Bright introduced him, and Billy Graham came to the podium, and before we got to our seats, as we entered the stadium, we were all given a little candle and told to hold on to it. We'd need it later. They held on to the candle, and Billy Graham that night preached a message I'll never forget, and the message was, let your light shine. And I was sitting probably 100 yards from the podium where he was standing, way up in the nosebleed section of the Cotton Bowl. As he presented his message, he said, no matter how small and insignificant you think your life is, in the midst of darkness, even your light will make a difference. And as he closed the message, all of the lights in the Cotton Bowl were turned off and it was pitch dark. And Billy Graham lit his candle and he turned to Bill Bright and illuminated his candle, and then the two of them turned and lit the candles of two other people, and now four people illuminated the candles of four others, and there were eight, then 16, and 32, and I I was blown away by how rapidly the flickering lights of those candles just began to permeate the cotton bowl, and within a very short period of just a few minutes, every one of the 100,000 candles on the cotton bowl were now illuminated 
And there was an orange glow that was going up from the cotton bowl, the likes of which I'd never seen anything like it. In fact, it was so powerful that people who lived in the area of the cotton bowl called the Dallas Fire Department and reported that the cotton bowl was on fire. And it was. But in a way that the fire department couldn't do a thing about it. And you may think that my most vivid memory is the sight of the 100,000 candles, and it was something to behold. But it wasn't what touched me, because that night, as I sat there so far away from the stage, with all the lights turned off, and it was pitch black, the sight of that one tiny candle pierced the darkness, and I could see it from as far away as I was. And it was as if God was saying to me, you think you're insignificant. And I was. I did not grow up with influence or power. I'm the first male in my entire family lineage to ever graduate high school. No male upstream for me ever got out of high school. Not my father, grandfather, great-grandfather. And my dad used to tell me, son, don't look very far up your family tree. Son, there's stuff up there you just don't need to see. Of course, that made me curious, and I'd look, and I'd find out, boy, the old man was right. There's some stuff up there. Whew. I never thought I'd live in a governor's mansion, for heaven's sakes. When I was eight years old, my father said, now, son, the governor of the state's going to come down here and dedicate a lake they just built, and the governor's going to make a talk, so I'm going to take you down there to hear the governor make his talk at the lake. I'm going to take you down there, son, because you may live your whole life and you may never see a governor in person. <laughs> no way that old man would have ever believed that not only would his son live in the governor's mansion, but he would raise a daughter there who would one day go back and take her kids to live in that same house. And I'm this kid, 16 years old, sitting out there knowing I'm a nobody. My last name doesn't open a door. I lived in a little shotgun orange brick rent house that my parents never could own because they didn't have enough money. My dad worked two jobs, and he worked those kind of jobs where he just got his hands filthy dirty because he worked as a fireman and as a mechanic, and he barely, with those jobs, could pay the rent on the little rent house we lived in. That little house wasn't much bigger than this stage. And I'm sitting there thinking, but God, I'm such a nobody. I can't amount to anything. I'm overwhelmed by the whole experience and just being here. My dad was one of those guys, probably like some of your fathers. All he knew was hard work. He, he had no ambitions to be elected to anything or to be asked for his opinion on anything. I tell people my dad came home with that stuff under his skin and fingernails that he couldn't scrub off no matter how hard he tried. Some of you had fathers that worked just hard work, worked with their hands. You know what I'm talking about? I tell people, look, I grew up, the only soap we had in our house as a kid growing up was lava soap. Some of you don't even know what that means. So let me explain it to you. I was in college before I realized it's not supposed to hurt when you take a shower. My wife and I now will go on a cruise and she'll go down to the spa to have an exfoliation. <laughs> I tried to tell her one time, 
hey, honey, a bar of lava will do the exact same thing that that does. Don't ever tell your wife that or she'll exfoliate you and it ain't going to be pleasant. I'm sitting here in the cotton bowl thinking what a complete nobody, nothing I really am. And when I saw that little light from that distance in a big stadium, it was as if God said to me, son, don't worry about how big your light is. Just make sure that you take it to the darkest places you can find. And I want to tell you something. God hasn't called you to be the brightest light in Wisconsin. He simply called you to take the light that you have and place it in the darkest places that you can find. And when you do that, you'll be fulfilling the Great Commission. You will be salt. You will be light. And it's as if God will have touched you and said, tag, you're it. Thank you and God bless you. Well, as we get ready to say goodbye here on another edition of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, but I hate to say I told you so, but um, I told you so. <laughs> Governor Mike Huckabee, wasn't that spectacular? And again, this is one of the things, too. Again, political parties, political persuasions aside, independents, Democrats, Republicans, it is nice to hear a politician speak so freely, speak so openly. Be so authentic, be so vulnerable. And the thing is, too, you know, you, you just really can't trust the mass media these days. Everything is given to you through a filter. Every channel, every news outlet has an agenda. Fox News has an agenda. MSNBC has an agenda. CNN has an agenda. The Washington Post has an agenda. The Wall Street Journal has an agenda. Every entity, every organization has an agenda. What I loved about this was hearing it directly from him, raw, authentic, vulnerable, talking about faith, talking about his background, and just what a magnificent storyteller, putting it into a way that we could all understand. So if you want to learn more about Governor Huckabee, you can go to his website. Uh, he's on all the social media platforms. Again, he's got uh, a pretty popular TV show as well. So, you know, just feel free to get involved and support this man who puts Christ first. So just a uh, kind of a quick recap, and then we're going to get ready to go. But again, just that whole concept of salt and light. And, and my, my big takeaways is from a salt perspective, the ability to preserve, the ability to maintain, the ability to keep something fresh. We are called to be that salt. We are called to keep God relevant. We are called to keep God Fresh, we are called to preserve the word of Christ, despite secular societies wanting to go in the other direction. I can tell you, there's a lot of forces in the world today that would like to burn all the Bibles, that would like to outlaw Christianity, that would like to close the Christian schools, that would like to shut down choice programs, that would just like to make churches 
you know, hey, you, you say you, uh, gay marriage isn't accepted here. Well, up yours, gay marriage is now accepted. I mean, th- there's a lot of people that would like to do away with all of that. If we're going to be the salt, we need to preserve this. We need to keep it fresh. We need to make sure that God's word is around 10 years, 20 years, 50 years for our children and our children's children. And for me, that was a real big takeaway. But the other one, again, is light. And, and I think Governor Huckabee's story, which I relayed in an earlier podcast before I you know, realized we were going to air his talk, but it just takes one, one spark, one flicker, one candle to be lit until you have a raging inferno. Will you be that spark? Will you be that light? Because there's people that are looking at us every single day. I want hope, they say. I want opportunity, they say. I want somebody to join me in this. I want someone to lead me, they say. Will you be that leader? And again, it doesn't mean you have to quit your job. It doesn't mean you have to move to Budapest and do some missionary work there. But can you make a post on social media sharing your faith today? Can you invite someone to church this weekend? Can you proactively witness to somebody? Can can you, when you're in the grocery store line, in the Starbucks line, getting that double espresso mocha latte or whatever they call those stupid things. I'm not into paying nine bucks a coffee, sorry. So that's why I don't know what they're called. But when you're engaged with the shopkeep, when you're engaged with the cashier, when you're engaged with somebody you have an opportunity to come in contact with. Could you ask them, thank you so much, have a great day. Oh, by the way, how can I pray for you today? Be that spark. That's all we need to cover the world in Christ. As I've said repeatedly, this is not about Paul M. Newberger. This is not about the C-Suite for Christ ministry. This, this needs to happen long after I'm dead and gone. This needs to happen long after anything happens with our ministry. This is so much bigger than any one ministry. Let's win this world back for Christ once and for all. Let's cover the world in Christ once and for all. Let's have Christ restored as the center of the universe once and for all. But I can't do it alone. Governor Huckabee can't do it alone. We need your assistance, and it's my prayer that you'll do that. Two ways that you can do that, and then we're going to wrap up here. The first thing that I would say is, again, honor the Great Commission. We've already created the content for you. Share this podcast, put it on social media, send an email to somebody, depending on the platform you use. I think all of them have it. They've got those little ellipses, those three dots. You can send a massive text message from your phone. Hey, dudes, I just heard this podcast. Give it a subscribe. Easy. That's your ability to fulfill the Great Commission in one single day, all done. But number two, would you prayerfully consider becoming a member of our ministry? Because if you like these events, if you like this podcast, if you like listening to people like Governor Mike Huckabee, this is what we're doing all day, every day. We're better together. We're stronger together. We'll cover the world in Christ more readily together. Go to our website, csweetforchrist.com. Become a dues-paying member. It's only 375 bucks for the year if you're a for-profit, 195 for the year if you're a nonprofit. But it gives you the chance to meet Christian executives from all over the world, to enjoy fellowship with them, to pray for them, to encourage them, to learn how, in your own small way, you too 
can cover the world in Christ. Buy tickets to see Tim Tebow on March 7, 2024. But do something because we've started a movement here that secular society is never going to be able to extinguish. I'm Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you back here next time. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here. I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here. I won't forget you, no, 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 no. I won't forget you. You're like one of a kind, and my eyes light up when I think about you. I won't forget you.